How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to the podcast. The podcast is Tanner Talks about stuff that happened. I'm Tanner, and as always, I will be talking about stuff that happened. We're doing another news update today, an update kind of just about the global situation, what we're looking at, some things that have been making me a little bit nervous, some things that maybe we're looking at a little bit more of an upside for people who living here in the United States. It's been pretty dark and scary for those of us living in the United States. Recently, we're looking at some scary inflationary numbers. We're looking at a recession. We're looking at food shortages. You know, there's a lot of scary stuff happening here, but there may be a glimmer of hope happening um, in terms of what other nations might have their eye on trying to take us down as a nation. So... We're going to talk about that briefly, but there are some dark clouds on the horizon and some things that I believe may be inescapable at this point on the world stage. And just in terms of global geopolitics, where we, I believe, I truly do believe that we are very likely to experience a great global shakeup very, very soon, per potentially the first great global shakeup of its kind that we're, that, I mean, there probably will be more in the future, but this is the first one of its kind that we're going to be seeing here. So I'm going to talk about why I think we're heading in that direction. Uh, right before we start, remember, if you enjoy the podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts. Wherever you listen to podcasts, drop me a five-star review. Let me, you know, let me know that you are enjoying what you're hearing and that you believe that my commentary is important and contributes to the situation and informing people and making sure everybody knows what's going on and why it's important to be aware of all of these things so we can be prepared for the coming shakeup that's I believe is very likely to happen soon. But enough about that. Let's get started. I'm going to be talking about three main things, three three uh, main situations that we are seeing right now and on the global stage. I'm not actually going to be talking about the United States hardly at all today. I'm going to be talking about other nations. First of all, I want to talk about China. Uh, we we become very aware that China is a scary superpower. China, I mean, its military has grown exponentially since the 90s. Its economy has exploded over the last 20 years. The uh, Chinese Communist Party has become an, an increasingly scary entity in terms of just, you know, the world and people, uh, you know, the Chinese government has its fingers in all in politics across the globe. It's trying to control politics. And we know that there are Chinese spies inside the United States. We know that there are Chinese companies taking over industry in the United States. The, you know, the little industry that is still in the United States there are Chinese companies that are taking over. There's a mine that one of my friends lived by in Nevada that got bought by a Chinese company three or four years ago. And all of the materials from that mine are put on trains, shipped to ports, and then shipped over to China. So the United States does not actually get to sell off any of those resources. And that's kind of scary to me. And China's very good at presenting itself as this superpower, as this big, scary bully on the world stage, and people are going to do what it wants them to do. And uh, a lot of people have been, including me, have become very frightened of China in the last few years, especially with the Taiwan Strait crisis recently, where we, I, I genuinely thought that we were about to see China invade Taiwan. I'm genuinely surprised that it did not happen. And um, so China has done a lot of posturing recently. But what's going on inside China? This is what I've been very interested in lately. And I truly do believe that China's economy is about to collapse. And I think that because China's economy is about to collapse, that is the reason why the government has been so vocal about their anti-Taiwan sentiment recently and about their intentions to invade Taiwan. 
Because when your populace is divided, when your populace is mad at you, the best thing to do is create an outside enemy. And I think that's why China is targeting Taiwan and ramping up their anti-Taiwan rhetoric and their intentions to invade Taiwan because they're trying to get their people and their populace distracted from their internal problems and focus on an external enemy. And that's why, you know, we I saw videos of police arresting people in the streets when the people resist the police would say we're going to go to war with the united states we need to not be divided i genuinely believe that the that the uh communist party of china has been indoctrinating its citizens into hating the united states into believing taiwan is part of china and in doing so they distract them from their internal impending economic collapse but why is their economy about to collapse this was complicated to me because I was like, bro, China manufactures everything. Almost everything you can see, you can open the lid or turn it over, look at it, and it's made in China. How could China's economy collapse when it's doing this much manufacturing? When so many companies have outsourced so much of their industry to China, how is China now going to economically collapse? Well, a lot of it has to do with the fact that China became an economic superpower so quickly. As recently as 1985, China was still kind of the sick man on the world stage. Their economy was not doing hot. And now in 2022, they're like the, they're one of the most, they're, they're a rising economic superpower set to, if, if continuing on the same trajectory, set to surpass the United States in economic output in terms of GDP by, I don't know, 2030? But actually, in the last year, maybe two years, since since COVID, there have been a host of serious economic problems that have been plaguing China that are coming to a head right now. And it, I've seen people, I've seen analysts start to project that China's economy could completely collapse in the next 90 days, maybe 120 days. We're looking at four months until China's economy completely collapses. Why is that? Well, the first thing is that there's a huge mortgage crisis happening inside China right now. And let me give you the very bare bones explanation of this because it's, it's very complicated, but here's like the simplest terms I possibly can. Basically in China, there are a very few, maybe a handful of very large companies that manage all of the property development in China. The largest of these companies is Evergreen. Uh, Evergreen. Evergrande? I think it's Evergreen. And that company is heavily, heavily in debt. I think something like $100 billion in debt. Very, very deep in debt. And how did they get so in debt? Well, there's a culture in China that is very property ownership driven. It's very important to the Chinese people to, when you come of age, you purchase property. And that's the status thing. To own property is to be successful and to make a mark on the Chinese society. These property companies in Evergreen have capitalized on this and they have been selling huge quantities of property to the Chinese people and you know the Chinese population is so large and as China urbanizes more and more people want to purchase property and so Evergreen continued to sell property to people well people kept buying property but Evergreen didn't have enough materials and enough money and enough time and enough people to continue building these properties so Instead of just saying, okay, we can only accept this many payments right now, we'll continue to accept payments in the future, we'll continue to accept purchases in the future, but for now we can only accept this many and we can build that many houses. Evergreen decided that they were going to sell people houses before they were built. And this isn't 
extremely out of the ordinary. Like in the United States, you can buy a lot and then build a house on that lot. And it's not completely unheard of for them to, for, to buy a property and have the developer tell you this house will eventually be built on this lot. If you buy this lot now, then you'll get that house eventually. That's not super unheard of. Not a super smart decision to make in my opinion, but it's not an unheard of practice. What was unheard of that started happening in China is that these properties started to get a month, two months, three months, six months, a year behind schedule, two years behind schedule. And people had purchased these properties, but Evergreen kept saying, we'll, per we'll, we'll build them eventually. We're just super backlogged. And what was actually happening is that Evergreen was getting, people kept purchasing houses and purchasing houses and purchasing houses, but Evergreen was selling those properties at discounted rates because the houses were not yet built. And so people would purchase them at discounted rates because they couldn't actually see the house. And so Evergreen was like, okay, we'll sell it to you for cheaper and promise that eventually the house will be there. One of the problems was that because Evergreen kept selling these properties at such discounted rates, they could not purchase the materials and make as big of a profit on these houses as they can, as they wanted to make and as they needed to make to continue to pay their workers on time, to continue to pay their CEO, to continue to purchase materials. And because of this, Evergreen started taking out loans from the Chinese Communist Party and saying, we will pay these loans back. We just need a little bit to get back on our feet, to get over our debt and have these people start uh, be able to start selling more homes and uh, the Chinese government gave them a bunch of money. Well, what happens now is that Evergreen has started to tell these people who don't actually have homes yet. They purchased the, pro they purchased the property. They purchased the land that it's going to, that the homes are going to be built on and the speculative homes, but the homes are not yet built yet. Construction hasn't even started on most of these homes and People have paid money for them and they're just waiting on them now. Well, Evergreen started to say, we need you to start paying mortgages on these properties now before the home is even built. And they wanted to do that so they could have the money to pay back, to pay off the Chinese Communist Party. Well, about three months ago, a lot of Chinese people started banding together and saying, we are no longer going to pay these mortgages because our houses aren't even being built yet. And there's not really a set time frame as to when these houses are going to be built. So we're not going to pay money for a house that's not there when we're already paying rent for whatever property we're already on. And so a large group of Chinese people, we're talking tens of thousands of Chinese people stopped paying their mortgages to Evergreen. And I mean, Evergreen can't evict them because they don't live in the house that Evergreen promised them. So Evergreen suddenly has this abrupt stopping cash flow and they can no longer pay their loans off to the Chinese Communist Party. And these aren't small loans. These aren't a million dollars. These aren't $10 million. These are billions and billions of dollars that they've loaned from the Chinese Communist Party. And the Chinese Communist Party now does not have the money that they loaned to Evergreen like they were promised because Evergreen can't pay it back. Evergreen defaulted on those loans about two months ago. I don't remember how big the loan that they defaulted, the, the uh, payment that they defaulted on was, but it was big and it was scary looking. So the Chinese Communist Party now has this mortgage crisis going on where people aren't paying mortgages, houses aren't being built. Evergreen doesn't have the money to pay for those houses and the Chinese government has been bailing Evergreen out. It's a pretty scary mess. So that's thing number one. 
that's reason number one why I think chi the Chinese government, the Chinese economy is very close to collapsing. That's only one of the reasons. The second reason is the zero COVID policy that China continues to pursue. We get news articles that they that say there's a big COVID outbreak in Shanghai, and so they had to shut down all of Shanghai. That big COVID outbreak was maybe 2,000 people. That's what is considered a big COVID outbreak, and China pursues a zero COVID policy. Remember that China is an authoritarian regime. They can shut down cities and crack down on anybody who resists very, very in a very nasty way. And so the entire cities are completely shut down. People can't go out into the streets. People can't go get groceries. People can't do anything. There's literally nothing that these people can do during these COVID lockdowns that generally last about two and a half to three weeks. And in those three weeks, industry in those population centers is very much shut down. This happened in Hong Kong. This happened in Shanghai. This happened in Wuhan. This happened in Beijing. This has happened in all of these huge population centers in China and supply lines have been very obviously disrupted for that reason. And that economic output that's vital to Chinese to the Chinese economy gets shut down for three weeks out of the year. And it happens two, three, four times a year. And I don't know why China continues to pursue this zero COVID policy because obviously it's not working for them. The rest of the world has already accepted that COVID is something that we will have to live with for a long time. It sucks. There are nasty side effects, but we've accepted that we cannot stop our lives all in all. We cannot shut down entire nations because people get sick, because people just get sick. And finally, people have started to advocate for people just getting healthy, work out, eat healthy, Take care of your body, and then COVID usually won't do you as much harm as it does a lot of as does people who are very unhealthy. So because of the zero COVID policy, China's economy is starting to suffer. It's starting to stagnate. It's actually starting to fall in GDP. Now, if things weren't already bad enough in China, there's something else going on that's really starting to stress the Chinese Communist Party out. And that is that China has accumulated tons of foreign debtors overseas. But the way that China has gone about this is not quite how you would expect. One of the ways that China has gone about accumulating foreign debtors is that there are a lot of developing countries who have taken out loans from China to create infrastructure, to create docks, to create large deep sea ports, to create other industrial centers, things like that. And in return, uh, they've sent money back to China with interest. Now, a lot of these countries are unable to pay these debts once these projects are finished. And so what China does is China then seizes the means of production from for whatever it is they are creating. For instance, there were uh, there was a deep sea port that was built in Sri Lanka that China funded. When Sri Lanka defaulted on their debts, China seized that port. So now China has full control over everything going in and, out, and in and out of that port. The Chinese Communist Party does. Now, this has happened in a lot of different countries. This happened in Nigeria, in Pakistan, in uh, Argentina. And what this, is, what, what this has done to China is that China has sent out all of this money to other parts of the world and then seized the means of production in a lot of these different areas and a lot of these deep sea ports and a lot of these railroads, things like that, infrastructure. The problem with this is... You know, obviously, initially, China was probably like, okay, great, now we own this deep sea port, now we own this railroad, now we own this infrastructure. What happened after that was COVID. 
COVID shut all of this stuff down, shut down the deep sea ports, shut down the railroad, shut down the airports. None, no commerce was happening on any of these vital infrastructure points that China had loaned money to these countries to create. So even after China seized the means of production there and the means of movement along this infrastructure, they were not making any money off of these. And because they'd seized the means of production, even though these nations had defaulted on their loans, they were no longer paying these loans, even if they had defaulted and had the money to pay them at that point, because China had just seized the means of production then and said, okay, well, this is ours now. And uh, in return, you don't have to pay your loans anymore, but we own this. The problem now is that there's nothing happening to the deep sea ports, to the airports, to the railroads, and China's not getting any money from these nations because they're not paying their debts anymore because China settled their debt by seizing the means of production. I think I repeated myself like four times right there, and I'm sorry about that, but uh, there's a lot on my mind tonight. And to make matters worse, there's a lot of corruption inside China and a lot of corruption having to do with their central banking system. Most of the uh, Chinese banking system is centralized around just a few big, huge banks. Now, those banks often control the flow and the creation of currency, kind of like the Federal Reserve in the United States. And those banks have been, through corrupt means, through uh, backroom dealings with large companies inside China, they've been manufacturing more and more and more and more money and kind of just like making it appear out of thin air. And there's a lot of banking jargon that I could, uh, that I could, spit on you and kind of fire hose you with right now, but I'm going to choose not to do that. And, uh, basically suffice it to say that there's a lot of inflation happening inside China right now. And as if things weren't bad enough, they're also being hit with a drought and a drought so bad that the Yangtze river is actually drying up in a lot of areas. And that's bad because the Yangtze river is a way that a lot of ships go down the, a lot of, a lot of, uh, cargo ships go down the Yangtze river and dock far down the river and they can't do that now because it's so dry and so these ships have to dock in port cities like right on the coast and trucks large quantities of trucks have to haul those goods deeper inland which is far less efficient than just having a cargo ship drop it off deeper down the Yangtze River and also having to do with the drought a lot of China's power is hydroelectric. I mean, think of the Three Gorges Dam, the largest dam in the world. A lot of their power is hydroelectric, and now they're dealing with rolling blackouts across China because of the drought, because there's no water to power those hydroelectric dams. All this to say that China is in very, very bad shape right now. They're backed into a corner, and it's very likely that the Chinese economy in the next 90 to 120 days will completely collapse. A lot of homelessness, a lot of food shortages, maybe a potential second Chinese civil war. It'll be really bad. Things in China could get very, very bad and bad worldwide because China controls so much of the manufacturing worldwide. There will be a housing crash. There will be a huge recession inside China, potentially a depression probably a lot of revolution against the government. Well, people wanting to revolt against the government, maybe not actual revolution because the Chinese government has so much control. They have an iron grip on the Chinese people. But why haven't you heard about this yet? If, if this is actually as bad as I'm saying that it is, why haven't you heard about it yet? Well, China is manipulating its numbers, is manipulating its economic data, and 
real economic data from China has only been acquired from people who hack into the central Chinese database, the Communist Party database, and start leaking information about the actual economic dealings inside China to the rest of the world. And it's bad news. And if you have any doubts that China is is, you know, has a bad habit of manipulating data, think about this. Since the beginning of the COVID, uh, the coronavirus pandemic, China has reported almost 250,000 confirmed cases of COVID inside China. 250,000. Now, you know, that sounds like a lot. 250,000 is a lot of cases. Now think about this. Since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, the United States had reported 96 million cases. So in a nation of 350 million people, maybe 350, I think about 350 million people, United States, there have been almost 100 million COVID cases. Do you really believe that in the most populous nation in the world, where the coronavirus pandemic originated, do you really think that they've only had 250,000 cases and they've only reported 5,000 deaths? The United States has over 1 million reported deaths. So yes, I truly believe that China has a bad habit of manipulating its numbers to make itself look better. Now, that's all I'm going to say about China for now. Next up, we're going to talk about Russia. And I believe Russia's economy is also about to collapse. The United States imposed sanctions on Russia shortly after, and most of the European Union imposed sanctions on Russia shortly after their invasion of Ukraine back, uh, back at the end of February, beginning of March. And those sanctions are starting to be felt pretty deeply across Russia. But the sanctions are not what I think is the leading cause for why, uh, why this is going to happen. Russia has some of the most, they produce some of the most food in the world. They have a ton of farms, lots of grain comes out of Russia. They would be able to self-sustain. Maybe not a luxury, maybe not a lot of luxury products, but absolutely they have enough food to make it through a long winter. I think Russia's big problem right now is that they will not be selling oil any longer to the European Union. In the past couple of weeks, Russia has started halting production, halting transportation of oil through its major pipeline uh, from Russia to the European Union. It supplies at least 40% of the oil that goes into the European Union and powers factories, powers generators, powers gas pumps, powers power plants. Russia produces a lot of that oil and Putin has been tightening his belt and starting to halt uh, transportation of that oil and turn off that major pipeline. Up until last week, they had put down, uh, they had squeezed off a solid 90% of the oil that's going into the European Union. And just yesterday, Putin announced that he would be stopping all oil product, all oil transportation from Russia to, to the European Union. And oil prices immediately skyrocketed inside the European Union. Now, a lot of people inside Europe don't drive a lot. There's a lot of bikes inside Europe. A lot of Europe is, uh, they have a lot more uh, social socialist policies than the United States does. And because of that, their oil prices are a lot higher because they impose so many taxes on their oil. I mean, we get, well, you think it's really bad when there's $6 a gallon inside the United States. I mean, in the Netherlands, you could see as high as 15 or $16 a gallon of oil, a uh, gallon of gas inside the Netherlands. It's really bad there. Um, and so a lot of people bike, a lot of people ride public transportation. 
So while that's not great, that it's also not really, really, really bad for the European Union. What is bad is that the governments of the European Union run a lot of the power plants inside the European Union, and a lot of the these power plants use oil to power their power plants. And so without this Russian oil, there are other places where the European Union is going to have to, going to, have to take oil from. And now there's going to be a supply and demand crisis where the United States is also taking a lot of oil from other places. And because of that, these the prices of this oil is going to go up exponentially. Now, fortunately for us in the United States, we produce a lot of our own oil, so we probably won't feel it as badly as a lot of places in the European Union. But there are not a lot of oil fields in the European Union, and so they are going to feel it. They're, they're going to feel the heat for pr pretty quickly. They're going to start feeling the heat. Energy prices are going to skyrocket. They may have rolling blackouts if they can't get enough oil. And skyrocket, I'm talking like 300, 400% price increases of their energy bills. It could get really, really bad really quick. But that was a quick tangent. I'm going to talk more about the European Union in just a minute. But Russia is no longer selling oil to the European Union, which is one of their main sources of income. All the, all the sanctions also have hurt Russia a lot. And so they're not exporting any products. They're importing a lot of products from places like China and India, but they're not exporting hardly anything, which is really, really hard for them. They are exporting some oil to places like India and China, but they have made deals with them at a heavily discounted rate. And so they're not making nearly as much profit on this oil as they were making when they were selling it to the European Union and to the places like the United States and Canada. All that, plus the war in Ukraine sapping Russian resources. Russia has been paying. It has to pay a lot more soldiers. It wants to expand its military. It's not looking good for Russia. And it's very possible that the Russian economy could collapse very, very soon. So Chinese economy could collapse. Russian economy could collapse. And now the European Union economy could also collapse. I talked about Russia shutting off oil to the European, European Union. I talked about energy costs skyrocketing inside the European Union. There are already people protesting in places like Prague and Vienna and uh, the Netherlands, France, Paris. There's people protesting the government saying, we've got to take these sanctions off Russia so that we can have energy prices back. But the media is not reporting on this because that goes against the narrative that we need to continuously support Ukraine no matter what, which remember, Ukraine is not our military ally, is not our economic ally, is not part of the European Union, is not part of NATO, and... You know, just going to put that out there. Despite all that, the narrative is that we have to support Ukraine no matter what. No matter if it destroys our economy, no matter if it destroys our individual lives, we can't pay our energy costs, we freeze to death over the winter. You know, doesn't matter because we need to support Ukraine. Now, after all that, harvest season is coming up inside the European Union. The first harvest since we stopped seeing grain exports and fertilizer exports out of Ukraine and Russia. All of these farms have not gotten fertilizer from Russia for this entire year. Russia produces, I think, something like 80% of all the fertilizer in the world, and it has not exported almost any to any European Union nations or the United States, and it's harvest season soon. So we, it's very likely that we will see a much smaller harvest than we have seen in the past because of this war and because of these sanctions. So we're probably going to see food short shortages. Now remember, the United States produces most of its own food, and so we will probably be fine. We may see some food costs go up, 
but we'd probably be fine because we are self-sufficient. A lot of these European Union nations are not as self-sufficient as we are. They rely on imports. And in addition to this, with the, co with the recent COVID outbreaks that have been happening in Europe, a lot of European nations have, for whatever reason, decided to tell their farmers to stop farming until the COVID outbreaks subside. Farmers have been protesting in the streets. And me again, media doesn't cover this, but I have been seeing that farmers are protesting in the streets, chiefly in the Netherlands, where there's tons of farmland because their government tells them not to farm. We're going to see food shortages in the European Union. All this to say, combine the Chinese economic collapse, the potential Russian economic collapse, the potential European Union economic collapse, we are about to see a global shakeup unlike anything this world has ever seen before on a scale that is more planet-wide than we have ever seen before. These economies are going to completely collapse. People are going to revolt. People are going to stop paying their, stop paying their taxes. People are going to factionize. People are going to balkanize. Nations may devolve into civil war over who has a better idea of what to do with the nation. Things could get really, really dicey. And that's really all I have to say about this episode particularly. Now, the United States is probably going to be fine through all of this. If you live in the United States, which almost 80% of my listeners do, and another 10% lives in Canada, we will probably do just fine. Things might get a little bit dicey for a minute. We may need to pay a little bit more at the pump. We may need to pay a little bit more at the grocery store. But all in all, we're going to be okay. I cannot say the same for people in China, for people in Russia, and for people in the European Union, and all of the nations that those nations affect, which is most nations around the world. One more thing before I go. A lot of people have started to ask me, why the fourth great global crisis? What were the first three? Well, a little bit of clarification... I should have done this in the first time I talked about this, but uh, the fourth we are in the fourth great global crisis because the first great global crisis were the events immediately preceding World War One, which is the Balkan Wars, the Tunisia crisis, um, and the July crisis, the assassination of the Archduke Franz Ferdinand in Sarajevo, Bosnia, and eventually World War One. That was the first great global crisis. The second great global crisis was obviously World War Two. The events, the mid-1930s through 1945. The third great global crisis was uh, the Cold War, particularly in, in the 1960s when we had things like the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, and now we're in, I believe, the fourth great global crisis, where we are about to see a global shakeup unlike anything we've ever seen before. Like I say, every single time I talk about this, remember, go home, hug your families, make a date with people you love, Take up an old hobby that brings you a lot of joy. We're going to be okay. I believe that in the end, we are going to be okay. It could get nasty, but we will survive. As a human race, we will survive. And we will come out stronger and better on the other end. Getting there is going to be the hard part. And it's going to be easier when you're doing things you love surrounded by people you love. Remember that. Do not forget it. All right. This is Tanner signing off for the day. Remember, if you enjoy the podcast, 
please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Drop me a five-star review. Let me know that you enjoy what you're hearing and that you enjoy my commentary. I appreciate every single one of you who listen into this podcast. I will try to update a little bit more. I'm currently working on my last episode of the Conflict of Nations series. I'm actually going to be quitting my nine to five in the next couple days. And uh, that's going to free up a lot of time for me to do things like this. And... I'm excited about it. I started a business recently. I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on the podcast. I'm going to focus on, I'm actually writing a fantasy series also that I'm going to be focusing on. And if you're, I know a lot of you probably don't make it all the way to the end of these podcasts. You'd probably sign off right when I say, if you enjoy the podcast, but thanks for making it all the way to the end. I appreciate it. I'll catch you all next time. Enjoy your week.